Welcome to the E6 Podcast. The E6 Podcast is a place for candid conversations from Colonial Church, where we will dive deeper into what our church community is learning, what's going on in the world, and how it all applies to our lives as Christ followers. All right, everybody, welcome back to the E6 Podcast. This is episode number eight. We have hit eight. We're not quite to double digits, but we are so getting close. This is the E6 Podcast from Colonial Church. My name is Brooke James. Who else is with me today? Hey, I'm Tanner, and I am excited to be here. Hey, Tanner. I say that every week. You do. Tanner, I feel like okay. you beat me in every time, too. <laughs> uh, I try to, I'm really I'm so hard. excited to introduce myself, and, and you just jump right in there like a quick, <laughs> quick younger whippersnapper. It's the most Gold. fun part. Did you just call me a whippersnapper? A whippersnapper. He did. he did. I think that says more about him than it does you, though. For sure. I think so. I reckon it does. <laughs> I reckon. Wow. Uh, so, yes, that's also Lauren that's here with us. So it's Brooke and Tanner and Lauren, the BLT, as we affectionately call ourselves, because we make fun of other things that are involved in that. Um, today is a little different because we are all over the place. We we have had COVID hit in uh, in my house, uh, so that has forced us to quarantine. Mm-hmm. And um, we're actually recording from three different locations, all trying to look at each other in Zoom so we can pay attention to each I other. I sure hope and... this works. <laughs> I have no faith in my own technical skills. None. This may be an interesting conversation between Brooke and Tanner with random blank spots in yeah, between right? as Lauren right? talks yeah. and we don't Could hear be. it. So. <laughs> Could be. Uh, so how was your week, guys? What a crazy, what a crazy week, week we had. It was insane. Well, the Hodges had numerous families under your roof, love, loving yeah, some people had- without power. We had four families. It was it was amazing. You had a, a house catch on fire. One of your neighbors. Oh my gosh! I think that's a great example of how some some folks just had a horrendous week, right? And and then there were several families like ours that we never lost power, we right. uh, never lost heat, or had water problems. Uh, the few folks we reached out to around us also either already had already had help or were fine. Um, it's just crazy how this hit everybody differently. Our church campus yeah. got hit hard. You know, we got some leaks. We had some pipes break. We lost power for a couple of days, and we weren't able to be a warming station like some churches in town were. Uh, and yet it was also really fun to see uh, people just step up and love their neighbors well. And um, it was really, really good to to feel like we're at least feeding a bunch of folks at, over at City Hope Church. Yeah, and, I'm, I'm not going to lie, though. I was really disappointed that the church wasn't a warming site, not yeah. only for that case, but because I needed a warming site. <laughs> That's and right. right. So you guys didn't lose power, and so we ended up over at, at uh, Tanner's house, and we spent an afternoon there waiting for our power to come on the first time. And then, yeah. you know, so it was like a 14-hour time, and it came back on, and uh, and so, yeah, so we, we were disappointed it wasn't a warming site as well. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. I mean— it was cool to see <laughs> churches come together, and um, it was great to have, you know, on the one hand, I, it, man, it was not fun that families had to be displaced and stuff, right. but our personal experience, it was cool for our kids, because our kids got to play with everybody else's kids, and mm-hmm. uh, we, we hadn't been able to, you know, do that in a long time. In some ways, right or wrong, you know? we, we forgot yeah. about COVID, right? Like, <laughs> right, yeah, 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 I'm yeah. not sure that was all good, but... In some ways, it was great because families were getting together and being each other's space and having people over, and right. because you had to 
provide shelter. You had to provide. Yeah, it's warmth, like you go. What's you know? the What's the greater risk? You're <laughs> right. cold, and kids are getting sick, and let's not do that. You know. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. Assume the risk. So. I'll say too it, the 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 connections I've enjoyed making the last couple of years with other pastors from different churches. You know, when bad things happen in our community, the one of the beautiful results is all of a sudden we're all talking to each other. All of a sudden, right. my Facebook mm-hmm. messages are blowing up from other pastors mm-hmm. and texts right. and and phone calls. And um, I hate that it requires that, but I love that's one of the beauties that comes out of the ashes is we we kind of look up and look down the street for change. You know? Yeah, it was good. Hard week, but uh, <laughs> we're sunny weather now. And yeah, that's um, right. It's supposed to be what sixty something today. Yeah, That's nuts. man. So, it's nuts. It's so weird. <laughs> it I'm was like, negative two like four days ago. Gosh, man, I don't know. It's it's insane. That's nuts. So hopefully everybody out out here listening is good and their houses aren't obliterated and that's right. Um, dealing with too many problems, but if well, they and, are, and some of the aftermath know. is still coming. You know, I mean, people are still going to find out over the next week or three about broken pipes or. Right, sure. Leaking roofs sure. or um, or other issues, and I, I hope that we don't forget in this sixty degree weather now <laughs> that we can still help each other. Don't be shy if you're listening. Don't be shy of l- l- reaching out to to the Absolutely. church. We'd love to help in every way we can. Well, so we had uh, an interesting week leading up to an interesting conversation that we were planning on for this weekend as we dove in. Um, Anything else crazy in your weeks go on before we before we start diving into this uh, this topic? I will say before we jump into conversation, like we we're in a series, right? We don't talk about that. Yes. Um, and I came across something that I'm a little, um, I totally resonated with. Uh huh. And I'm a little upset that we don't talk about this. Okay. And so I'm going to bring it to you guys. I like where this is going. I'm nervous and excited. <laughs> Um, what does the bacon industry have against resillable packaging? Mm, bacon. Question. When you buy bacon, yep, you have to either use the whole thing or break out some sort of Ziploc bag. I'm like, this is. Bag. Are you kidding me? We can put bacon in a resillable packaging so that I can cook some bacon and not use the whole thing. Now, granted. I don't mind eating all of the bacon <laughs> right, in the packaging. That's right. I could eat it all, but... But still, like, <laughs> why don't we talk about this well, I as think a it's, society? I think it's the same reason that they sell, and I could be off on my numbers here, but they sell hot dogs in numbers That's of right. eight, I believe, and hot dog buns in numbers of six. Right. They get you. What in they the get you. world? They get you. Are we doing? It's genius. I, I'm. I don't know, man. Tanner, to your point, I. I guess I question how many people are actually upset that they had to cook all of the bacon, ra- rather than use a zip. I've never bag. been and upset just, once that somebody cooked all the bacon. Not a single uh, time. Man, yeah. I guess I'll. I guess I'll finish. I mean, these I get off. that. I get that. <laughs> you need to let I'm this go, like... Tanner. This is this is a good problem. <laughs> It's troubling. It's no, troubling. It's troubling. More bacon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next time you have bacon and you're like, ah, I just need to put the rest of this away, you call the two of us. Yeah. We will finish the bacon for yes. you. And then it's and then a you non-issue. Don't have to worry about it. <laughs> it's it's a non-issue. It's all done. One of my done. favorite things about the keto diet this past year that I discovered is I get to eat 
all the bacon. Like I just did, bacon. I did not see that coming <laughs> in a weight loss program. Right. Nice. <laughs> it's not good for your heart, but it's great. Oh, right. It's got other other ramifications. Well, yeah. So the bacon. All right. So we don't talk about that. Difficult topics that the church ignores. Lauren, this week we dove into Just Mercy, the movie Just Mercy. It's based on the story. Uh, it's based on a book by Brian Stevenson. Um, what are we uh, What are we shooting for here with this with this conversation? Well, before we even get into some of the content of the film, of the teaching we did, um, I, I just want to share one more time our heart's desire. I would even say is is less to teach, less to proclaim truth, and more to foster conversation, which I have no idea how idealistic this may be or or how difficult this may be, um, more so than we really even recognize. But I'll, I'll speak for me as one of our pastors and, and teachers. My hope is that uh, a film like Just Mercy uh, the little bit of teaching we did from the scripture uh, in the context of the movie yesterday is just a launching pad for mm-hmm. conversation for people on the way home in the car, for people sitting on their couch or around their table or pillow talk at night with your spouse, um, to sit with your small group uh, from church or other friends and just just say literally, what, what do you think? What do you think about that story? What do you think about that? Matthew 25 passage. What what comes to mind for you when it comes to issues of poverty and race and justice? And how does this intersect with the gospel that we understand? Um, and, and where does Jesus fit into all this? And I think if everybody's having those conversations and asking those questions, I am thrilled. Hmm. Um, and I, it's, it's hard to know how well we have done that, how well we've started that in the last 24 hours, what comes in the, in the next days and weeks and months. Um, but I, I sure am hopeful. I sure am hopeful that conversation, my, my worst fear is people just hear a step into any given topic and shut down or, or, or walk away or, or make all kinds of assumptions without really engaging. Um, that's my worst concern. I fear concern, whatever you want to call it. Right. I'm a, uh... I'm prepping myself for this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's hard. It's okay. It's, it's hard. Well, because like you said, we're not trying to like further polarize our society or our community or any of that stuff. Like we're not trying to create division. Well, and there's so, so we're many. Just trying trig- to, we're just trying to facilitate. There's so many trigger you know? words, you know, right. in our, yeah. in our culture these days, you just say, and I don't even, I don't even want to say one now, but you just say a word, you say a phrase yeah. that has different definitions for different people. Yeah. Um, or, or at least some assumptions or understandings that come along with it. And, and it really is hard. Um, yeah. Tanner, you mentioned, I'm just going to say this, you mentioned standing in the back, you know, Sunday morning, um, and, and taking in the teaching and, and you obviously edited this for us and, and we're in the middle of us planning through it and just watching, you saw people's heads shaking in disagreement. You yeah. saw, um, a handful of people at different times get up and leave. Uh, mm-hmm. which on one hand, I fully appreciate and understand. Like you talk about something hard, hello, the word hard is there in the phrase, you know, right. <laughs> difficult topics the church ignores, not easy topics the church ignores. Right. Mm-hmm. And all at the same time, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to think that we hear the word racial 
or we hear the word um, prejudice or we see something on the screen and just go, I'm out, I'm out. Oh, that's, that's the agenda. Oh, that's the, that breaks my heart. Um, yeah. And I'm probably guilty of, the, of doing the same in different contexts. It's really, it's really, I think, a gut check for all of us. Can we have difficult conversations and listen um, and take it in? And I heard somebody say recently, if I, don't, if, I, if I never talk to people who disagree with me, I'm never going to learn anything. Hmm. Oof. Well, so if this is um, such a divisive topic or there's so many divisive uh, phrases or words, why would you say as the, as the teaching pastor, as the lead pastor here, why is this an important conversation? Ah, great question. I think, I think central to this for a lot of us is um, where does our faith in Jesus intersect with the life we live seven days a week? with going to work, with going to school, with parenting, with um, romance, where, where, you know, we're really good at compartmentalizing. And I think that there are a chunk of people who, who say, hey, let's, as Christians, let's not even talk about anything political, anything social. That's a distraction. Let's just follow Jesus and preach the gospel, share, share with words the, the wonderful reality of who God is and what he's done for us. Uh, but you can also go to scripture and make really strong arguments that the, the first task uh, in evangelism is, is meeting felt needs and meeting the, the basic needs of food and shelter and, and relationship to help the needy. Uh, and I would argue, and, and this comes after a lot of study and a lot of prayer, um, it's my own convictions that it is a messy combination of all of it, that, yeah. that to live out our faith, to, to preach the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus includes every bit as much the words of truth uh, about who God is, what he's done, how he feels about us, the links he's gone to, to, to show it, to, to pave a way back to him, to, to offer forgiveness and mercy and grace and relationship and eternity with him. And all at the same time to, to offer a, just a cold cup of clean water to someone that is never going to hear the words if we're not offering them the water first, that yeah, to, to see that, uh, that God cares about, justice for people. I think, I think that in the scriptures, if I can go off for a second here, I think in the scriptures we focus in our faith tradition as, as Protestant Christians, as fairly conservative, Bible-believing, Bible-trusting Christians, we focus a lot on uh, the invitation to life, the sanctity of life, uh, relationship with Jesus, that a lot of what we would consider liberal Christians to not focus nearly enough on, or if at all, and, and they're all consumed with just social issues. And, and yet, the scripture is also very clear, Matthew 25, we looked at that this weekend, that Jesus says, man, how you treat the least of these is how you treat me, how you, how you visit, visit the, uh, the alone, the imprisoned, how you um, sit down and get in the, the mud with the sick and the poor uh, is every bit how you express your faith, how you live out your trust in me, because these are the folks that I, I care about the furthest from me. 
Uh, and it's both. It's the scripture is full of talk of of caring for the poor, uh, fighting for those in need who are oppressed by people in power, uh, and all at the same time sharing the gospel with words with people that don't don't have any clue who God is. It's it's a combination of the two, and I think that's where it gets messy. So that's where, forgive me, I feel like I went on a little rant there, but I I think that's where we went yesterday is. I'm overwhelmed personally that this story, for example, happened not in the 1960s, uh, which is before my time, but in the 1980s and 90s, which is when I was in college and falling in love with Carrie and deciding to be a pastor. And all all at the exact same moment, this was happening in Alabama. Uh, and it was on 60 Minutes. And, yeah, I was going to say, the uh, fact that you can go back and watch that on 60 Minutes. To see Ed Bradley, I, you know, I was a kid growing up on Ed Bradley on 60 Minutes. I know I, I don't think he's with us anymore. But to see him, that real footage of him interviewing Walter McMillan, it just, mm-hmm. it just brings it home for me. That's, that's partly why we went there yesterday, is to bring it home, to say, hey, this, this not only really happened in the past tense, this is really happening now. And so mm-hmm. how does our faith in Jesus and our desire to become more and more like him and to trust him and to be a part of his kingdom coming, how does that intersect with what we see going on in our world today? That's my heart. Yeah. Well, can, can, can I, uh, can I comment on that question too? Like, I think, um, I think it, in general, you ask the question, how, how, like, if this is, has the potential to be so divisive, why even, um, why even approach this topic? And as I think about, like, I'm, I'm, I'm still a, I, I like to say I'm still a new dad in that I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-month-old. And um, I have seen over and over again the, the church or, or Christians at large disengage from what the world is experiencing. Mm. And, I don't want my kids to be influenced solely by what the world is going through. And I, I, I have a hard time, I have a hard time reconciling how the church or how Christian Christianity is going to influence the world around us. If we disengage, like if we aren't willing to step into the mess of this and have these conversations, why I don't understand like, how can we, for for the sake of our kids, like for the sake of the next generation, we're basically leaving them with nothing. <laughs> you know, we're leaving them with nothing to go off of if we just ignore and we disengage in, in a lot of ways. Not just even with just topics, we disengage with interaction and um, you know something as simple as um, uh, alcohol or. Uh, or something as simple as cuss words, you know, like we don't teach how to engage in a world that this is happening in. We want to pretend like it doesn't exist. So we protect and we shelter and we don't show our kids how to, how to respond to these things. And so I think when, when I was thinking about like just processing, you know, approaching this topic, approaching this message and this conversation, I was thinking, you know, I want to leave my kids with something that um, was something that can help them process what the world is talking about, you know, 
rather than just pretend like it's not happening. Mm. I don't see this as a distraction from the way of Jesus, but I see this as a way of highlighting the ways of Jesus um, and how that that plays into uh, what we see happening in the world around us. So mm. that's kind of where that's kind of where my mind went with um, approaching these topics, you know. Yeah, and it's similar to what we talked about. I think with um, with with grief and and dealing with the pandemic is that our world is going through these things. I mean, if you look at 2020, 2020 was full of it. You know, as we talked about, um, uh, you know, over the course of the year, we had you know we had protests and there were riots and we had George Floyd. George uh, George Floyd's death. We had Ahmaud Arbery's death. We had uh, Breonna Taylor. Like there were there were you know numerous times that this kind of conversation came up. So regardless of of where you fall in the conversation, not having a conversation at all about it leaves us outside of that. And I think that's like what you're saying is that if if we're not going to as the church engage in Right. The topics, the tough topics that are that that the world around us is dealing with, then we become this isolated. Um, we just become this isolated thing that is not relevant to their lives. I totally agree. I totally agree. And you know, I, I was last summer. I was talking to people who were talking about George Floyd, and last fall I was talking to people who were upset that the NFL was being so political, and I was talking to people. Uh, about the pandemic and, you know, conspiracies behind it. And, um, and yet I felt like Sunday mornings, we just don't go there, any of those places. Right. And, and that's, that's part of my heart behind this brief series for all of all the people who are scared. We've just jumped the shark. Um, <laughs> we have, uh, we have just turned some crazy corner. You know, we're, we're going to look at Romans 12, verses one and two in a couple of weeks and talk about how God changes us. And it's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. We're actually going to spend a few weeks on it and we're not going to just camp out on really difficult subject matter all the time, but there's a time and a place to engage, to say, this is what everybody else is talking about at work or at school or um, at the coffee shops or wherever. Let's be the church who engages the world for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what else in the movie stands out? We have a whole bunch of questions that I want to get to um, because I think we can probably spend a fair amount of time on the uh, some of the questions that we received, which is awesome. So thank you for that, everybody. Um, but before we get to those, is there anything from the movie that just really struck a nerve with you that uh, that stands out a little bit more than than something else? I wish we could have watched the whole movie. Yeah, it's really uh, hard there's to a cut lot. It down. Yeah, there's a lot of story. There's a lot of setup. There's a lot of context that sometimes we 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 do our best to try and, mm-hmm. and give. And I felt like a lot of um, the teaching portion of uh, what we did had to include setup. It had to yeah. include backstory and catching us up as the story advanced. Um, what stick? What, a couple of things that stick out to me about the message we showed um, and even the movie itself. Uh, this is, I would say, this is one movie where normally I I wouldn't say, you know, we should watch this movie. Uh, normally I would say, you know, whatever, um, watch the message, you know, what, because we created a message based off of the story, right? This is one that uh, some people who have talked to me about the message about what we're, we're what we're going towards. I actually encourage them, like, you know, if, if you're up for it, like, I would watch the movie. Um, it's incredibly convicting in, in, in many different ways. So that's one of the things that stuck out to me about this particular movie. It's not, it's, it's less a movie and more of a documentary, you know? Like, 
because we say this actually happened. Like mm. this is the telling of a story of something that actually occurred. This isn't a made up story. You know, like I think of we, you know, did a movie Captain America. Well, there's no Captain America running around in the world. You know what I mean? Um, but there's truth in it. But like this right here is this this exists. You yeah. know, this is something that happened. This is a story we can look at back in history and see those things align. Mm. So that's one of the things that stuck out to me about it. Um, mm. The other thing is um, I had to watch this movie over and over and over and over, right. and over again, not just because I was editing, but because I needed to prep myself for editing. Mm. Um, this thing, this movie hit me in between the eyes many, many times um, with the things that they set up. I had to wrestle with beliefs. I had to wrestle with uh, growing up a certain way. Um, I had to reconcile some things for me. Um, and to almost to, to sort of dip my toes in a heavy in a heavy subject here, I have a I have a cousin who uh, who was murdered, um, and the person who committed the crime has received the death penalty mm. in Oklahoma, in the state of Oklahoma. Wow. I did not know that, Tanner. Yeah. That's and a little so close to home. I've had yeah. to reconcile a lot about, like, what do I believe about this, this type of thing? Death row, uh, that has nothing to do with race. You know what I mean? It has yeah. nothing to do with bias or prejudice or any of that stuff. It has everything to do with my walk as a Christian. So like this thing, that that's some things that stuck out to me about the movie, about the way that we crafted the message. Um, I think if we can get past some of the biases, um, things that we have, uh, we can, we can really begin to allow the Holy spirit to convict in a really healthy, positive way. Um, and, and that is one of the things that I, appreciated about the movie um uh and and appreciated about the way that we approach this as a church um there's no way to get this perfect there's no way to get it right right, you know but i think we did the best that we could to communicate our heart and um i think that came through personally Hmm. i will affirm i guess watching our watching our best efforts to to edit this and do a little teaching that this is definitely a, a full movie worth everybody's time. Um, the book even more so, because of course the, the movie doesn't, I mm. think it does, does the book fairly well, but it doesn't, the, the movies hardly ever do the books justice, right? There's so much more. Um, one thing sure. I, I thought worth adding, there's so many little things we could add, but you know, it didn't really, we, we, we included the execution of Herb Richardson and I thought we were pretty clear even in what we shared in the editing that he, he owned up to what he did. He had regret and remorse for what he did, but, uh, I don't know how well it captured, uh, just that he was so disturbed, you know, as a vet. And, um, I read about how he was, you know, the, I think we included in the, in the, the teaching, he was the only survivor of an ambush that killed his entire platoon, but he ended up in a VA hospital. He followed a nurse that he met there, uh, dated her. They were happy for a while, but after they broke up in his disturbance, he thought the best way to win her back was to plant a bomb on her porch and then Mm -hmm. rescue her from it. 
Right. Uh, that's super twisted, but he's not some crazy, you know, hateful murderer. He, he wasn't he actually, intending to kill anybody. He wasn't intending to kill anybody. And then the tragedy is that this woman that he loved, her 10-year-old niece picked up the bomb and, and died. And that's why he was sentenced to death row. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some small level, you know, of, of just sympathy for Herb. And, and that tugs at my heartstrings. Really? We're going to kill this guy? He was that messed up from, from war, from serving our country, that he made an awful choice like that. But what it brings to mind for me, if I can digress, is another movie that I would strongly recommend if you're wrestling with the death penalty. And I saw 15 years ago, one of my seminary classes actually uh, required us to watch Dead Man Walking, uh, starring Sean Penn and... Um, uh, what's her name? Oh my goodness. I am blanking on her name. Susan Sarandon. She plays uh, sister Helen DeJean. Oh, I'm going to mess up her name too, but she plays a, a nun who now famously really uh, kind of like Brian Stevenson in a different way, just has worked yeah. hard for, for decades now trying to, to love the least of these specifically on death row. Right. And the difference in that story, spoiler alert is this guy was a monster. Unlike Herb Richardson, who was really disturbed and made some awful choices, this guy was a monster. Sean Penn plays a guy is easy to hate. Rape, murder, uh, animal, jerk. Uh, and she loved him like Jesus loved him. And it, it changed me. That, that film made me really struggle with the death penalty and and more importantly, more importantly, no matter how you feel about the death penalty, it really personified. She personified what I really believe it would look like for Jesus sitting down at death, in death row with people, uh, and anyone else who is on the outside looking in, uh, based on their own choices or somebody else's choices or both. Just just incredible grace and deep love and. Um, just dignity, humanity that she gave to him. So I say that in part to say, I don't know how well our little, you know, chopped up, spliced up (laughs) story does justice to really understanding what led Herb, for example, to being on Mm -hmm. death row. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I would say, I don't think the death penalty, capital punishment as an issue is not where we were trying to go. Uh, it's not where I want us to get too distracted from what I think is the main, uh, main power of the story, but I would invite those kind of conversations with people just as, as someone journeying with our folks at colonial, I, I have some wonderful friends that love Jesus passionately and know the scriptures really well that we've just disagreed and, uh, had some great hard conversations that keeps me up at night. And I trust keeps them up at night. And I invite more of that. I really, I want us to be a church that can, can wrestle with those kind of things. Yeah. And I would say, um, I mean, this, this book for me, um, I know it's, we're talking about a movie, but the book alone, uh, I, I read it a couple of years back and, um, I don't know, three, four years ago, I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was one of the first books that I read that really started me down this road of, um, trying to look at things from a different perspective. And, um, Brian's, Brian's, uh, approach to, um, his belief that proximity was important, 
was was such a was it was almost like a revelation like i just felt i guess like i i lived this in this bubble that i i felt like i could um still care and still understand everything but keep everything at a distance and uh, and this book was really just kind of something that pushed me pushed me beyond that and same thing um you know tanner i don't have the same experience as you i did grow up in oklahoma and um you know specifically I was I was old enough to understand what was going on when the uh, when the Oklahoma City bombing happened, and yeah. I remember watching news coverage day in and day out um, as they were dealing with Timothy McVeigh and the death penalty, and um, and and so I remember the mindset that I had going through all of that, and how lacking of any kind of understanding I felt like I actually had. And so reading this book, and then, of course, later on, um, rereading this book, and then watching the movie a whole bunch of times, like, that was one of the things that it did for me, is it, 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 it forced me to start thinking, okay, maybe I don't have a, a uh, you know, an overall perspective that sees everything that I think I did before. And just to start to realize, okay, as you know, what's the saying, the older I get, the more I realize I don't know. Yeah. And so that's, that's what it was for me. And so this, this book really, really has, has, you know, kind of been a launching pad for me as, as yeah. I went, when I first started reading it. And then of course, to, to get to this point where we, we did a movie on it and having, having deeper conversations on it. Like, I, I love that. I'm, it's, yeah. I think it's great. Mm. I, uh, I wonder, I, kind of this question pops in my mind, um, I know for sure I have experienced this in, in my own faith journey. Uh, so I, that's kind of why I think I want to bring it up. But uh, for any for any of us who um, sometimes want to disengage from topics like this, I think there is a fear. I know for me, um, and part of, part of uh, coming around to some of these topics, beginning my journey in this a couple years back, um, there was a fear of uh, violating what I thought was true. Mm-hmm. You know, there was like a fear of um, lack of knowledge that I didn't want to be disproven, you know, even when it comes to like what I know of Scripture. Like yeah. sometimes we disengage from topics or conversation because we're afraid we don't know enough, you know, and so we just don't engage. Um, and... Uh, I I think I, uh, for for a while, I think I just didn't want to have this conversation. I just didn't want to, I didn't want to engage because number one, I didn't feel like I knew what I, what I should know to be able to jump into the conversation. Number two, I really didn't want anybody to disprove, uh, you know, things that I grew up believing. And three, I just didn't want to be that vulnerable or real with with people uh, mm. in some of that. And so, um, I would just encourage, I would encourage our, our, our listeners, our, our community here at Colonial to try to push some of that down, you know, for anybody who might be experiencing some of that stuff. The only way we're going to learn some of these things is by engaging. And I think if we can do it in a way that's not trying to be manipulative, um, it's just trying to be informative and loving one another. I think we can... I think we can move forward together in a really healthy way, even if we find ourselves at the end of it on different different ends of the of the of the conversation. Mm. Um, so that's kind of what encouragement well, I, would, I would have. 
I, I'll add one personal thought. Um, I know we've got several. I'm kind of holding back because we've got a, at I least know. a couple of questions that I think are, are the kind of things I want to <laughs> yeah. talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I will say this. I've shared this with with my wife. Even this morning, I was talking to her about this, and I think I've shared this with you guys. As a pastor, especially as a teacher uh, here at Colonial, I feel like a big part of my job is shepherd. Uh, if you can mm -hmm. have that imagery of a shepherd with sheep and mm -hmm. um, tending to the flock and caring for the people and being present. And I think in our culture of outrage, being a non-anxious <laughs> presence uh, in our polarized, opinionated, disconnected culture, being someone who cares about people first and not programs and events and opinions, but about people first. And I, I hope that I'm doing that fairly well um, but that, to, if I can be honest, that's, that's the fun part of my job. That's the easier part of my job. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. The harder part of my job that I also embrace is, uh, is profit. Um, and I don't mean like I'm some, you know, wizard looking guy that predicts the future profit. I, I mean, someone who says a hard word, someone who, who points us back to scripture. I think it's part of my role that I have to embrace as a leader and as a pastor and as a primary communicator, a teacher here at colonial is occasionally going, ouch, look what, look what God says we have to do if, if we want to be faithful. Oh my goodness. Look what God says. We've got to grab a hold of and embrace if we want to be his people that are not of this world but are in this world. Mm. And if I can just be honest and real for me personally, that's less fun. I think there are some pastors out there who just really love being prophets and um, they're kind of hard to be around in my opinion, <laughs> mm. but, but the prophet role for me is really hard because I think of John the Baptist who never bathed and ate bugs and seemed to always be <laughs> yelling at people Shocker. All by himself. Yes. Shocker. He was all alone a lot. He was living in the desert. He didn't live that long. He got his head chopped off. Nobody mm. really wants a prophet for a pastor. They want a shepherd for a pastor. They want someone to mm -hmm. be there in the hard moments and to care about them, put their arm around them. Mm -hmm. and, and I love that part of my job. But this weekend to me, at least in, in some significant way, represents the prophet part of yeah. like uh, Matthew 25 hits me right between the eyes. And the call to, to love people really well and seek to understand people different than me and to be teachable in areas that I feel pretty grounded, that's way harder than can't we all just get along, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's part of where I'm coming from even for this weekend is it grieves me to think of people walking out yesterday morning or upset with something but I'm telling myself, you know what? That's not them upset with me. That's ups that's them upset with Jesus. That's them. That's mm -hmm. them upset with something from the Scripture, maybe even conviction from the from the Holy Spirit within them. Um, I mean, I'm open to misspeaking or, or having something to do with it for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, I really have to remind myself that this is one of the harder aspects of of leading and serving our people is is bringing up the hard the hard truths the convicting, uncomfortable truths of Jesus. And we're going to do that more over time.
so like I said, we do have a whole bunch of uh, we have a bunch of questions that that I think we'll we'll push this conversation a little bit farther as we go. Um, I, I think we could we could just sit here and and talk for a couple of hours about the um, just the ramifications of having the conversation, you know, alone. So uh, so let's dive into this a little bit. Um, some of the questions that came in, here's one. It says, uh, did they ever catch who killed Rhonda Morrison? Rhonda Morrison was the, uh, was the woman that, that was murdered, and uh, Walter McMillan was um, convicted of having killed. My understanding is they did not, correct, Brooke? You, you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah so they ultimately they did not catch... They have not. They they never they never convicted anybody of that. They did have, according to the reports that I have read, they did have somebody that they did not name publicly, but they really felt like did the uh, it was actually the one that committed the the crime, and uh, this person was going back and forth like super helpful and wanted to be a part of the conversation, and then as soon as they found out they were a subject they skipped town and it's not gone any farther than that. So no, they did not catch the person who uh, actually killed Rhonda Morrison. Wow. Um, a couple of questions as far as the death penalty goes. Um, Lauren, I know you were looking at some statistics earlier. We had a question that says, I'd like to know the, the source for the one in nine statistic. That was, um, the statistic was for every nine people executed in the United States, one is proven innocent and released. So you have the, you have some statistical data there for us. Yeah. I actually love that somebody asked me that cause I, I wanted to be able mm-hmm. to, to give a good resource for that. Uh, the death penalty information center you can find online. Uh, says that since 1973, uh, 1,532 people have been executed in the U.S. Uh, it's a little over 1,500 people. And uh, of those 1,500 plus, 185 have been exonerated and released from death row since 1973, which actually is closer to one in eight, if I do the math correctly. It's like one in right. 8.2. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a an alarming statistic to me. Uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating that, that we're that far off when we're talking about ending people's lives. That's my, my yeah. opinion, but yeah, you can go to death penalty information center. Uh, you can look at their innocence database. You can look at their execution database and you can get those, those statistics. And obviously you can, you can go to eji.org if you would like more information just coming from specifically from Brian Stevenson and his organization. Obviously, it's going to be from his perspective and point of view as he is fighting for people in that, uh, in that, in that state. So, um, so that's good. Okay, so another, another that's kind of related to the death penalty, I think. Can, here. Can I, I add one thing, Brooke? Can I interrupt you? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, just as, as this is a, a warped way to say it is we talk about Texas pride. Everything's bigger in Texas. Uh, we are in a distant first place as a state mm-hmm. in, in executions. Um, second place is like, I think it's like one fourth of how many we have. Mm-hmm. You can look up those numbers online as well. Uh, yeah. It's pretty incredible. Texas is winning the race of executions by a mile. So, mm. um, I don't know where Oklahoma sits since we're right on the edge of being an Oklahoma people. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't remember exactly, but, um, there, 
man, uh, I wish I had some of these. I did some more research before we started this conversation. But um, I have read multiple accounts that that ultimately the majority of our executions in the United States that are not federal executions um, done by the, the, the country or the, the federal government, but the, the states, they are they are like concentrated in only a couple of places like there's like a handful of places where most of these happen and um i know that's not super helpful because i don't have a ton but i thought that was very interesting that it's not like all over the country it's literally we just have pockets of these of these executions that are happening in 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 specific areas okay here we go i can i can uh give you a quick accurate stat here okay uh tech this is 1976 to through 2020 Mm -hmm. Uh, Texas is in a distant first place with 569. Uh-huh. Then it drops all the way down to 113, Virginia, and 112 in Oklahoma, uh, and then on down from there. And so Texas uh-huh. has five times as many as the second most, uh, and Oklahoma and Virginia are right there in a distant second. So we're, yeah, we're and, definitely and- in that region that's dominating <clears throat> Oklahoma, Oklahoma, and I, I only know this because of what I mentioned before. Um, but Oklahoma actually has paused uh, executions, mm-hmm. and they're saying that they're going to resume executions uh, in early to mid this year, twenty twenty one. There's like a they're fighting a lawsuit right now in federal court, um, brought by some attorneys of some death row inmates in Oklahoma, um, f- saying that the that the um, that the state's death penalty protocol is unconstitutional, mm. and so they're they actually paused. Um, it was a cr- cruel and unusual or something, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and they actually so they actually paused executions in Oklahoma and haven't resumed them yet. Mm. Um, but there is a plan, I think, uh, to resume executions this year. So, food for okay, thought. so to take this to uh, a a spiritual level as we go back to the scriptures, um, this question says. Uh, what could you possibly do that is beyond the Father's ability to forgive? Mm. So I think coming from seeing these people on death row, the things that they've done, I mean, you could even think about, um, you know, maybe uh, maybe Herb Richardson is not a, a great example as somebody who had a lot of things going on um, that that led him down this road that, uh, you know, but, but other people that have actually committed these crimes that it's not a question whether or not they should be on death row or sure or whatever, mm-hmm. but, but maybe, maybe what we should do in the end. So what would you say to that? What, is there anything that's beyond the father's ability? Because we're not God, right? Mm-hmm. So no, that's a great question. I, I think that is one of, I think that is the most troubling reality of grace. Uh, I, I think Peter just exemplified it when he looked at Jesus and he said, how many times am I supposed to forgive somebody, Jesus? And he sarcastically said, you know, seven, am I supposed to do it seven times? Like not even like just (laughs) twice or three or four times. That's so many. Like seven times. I mean, are you just going to, I'm just going to let somebody run all over me. And, and Jesus said, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. And, and we know it's not a leap to, to realize he didn't mean exactly 490 times and then 491. Oh, that's too many. Uh, it, it's a picture of God's um, scale when it comes to forgiveness. And so my answer from conviction from the scriptures is there is nothing. There is nothing that we can do that is beyond God's grace, beyond God's mercy. The New Testament does talk about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and there's 
there's certainly, um, you know, interpretation of what does that mean? Does that mean just giving the bird to God and saying, you know, you, you know, the worst things possible to him and turning our back on him. And, uh, I'm not going to get into that. I, I am going to say, you know, what, what can we do morally that is beyond God's forgiveness? Absolutely nothing. Uh, that's part of the, of the centrality of the gospel in this story from, from Brian Stevenson's story, even though he blatantly wasn't, you know, trying to express Christianity, but in so many ways he lived it. He said, including in that courtroom scene in the, in the movie, he said, each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Yeah. And I know everybody listening to this right now is, is, is saying, thank God. Right. Like I'm thinking, think I'm thinking back to the worst things I have done that are just, so shameful to me. And I am not that person. My, my life is so much more than a few moments where I have made those choices. Thank God. Right. And so yeah. my, my, my maybe long answer to that question is no, there's, there's nothing that God's grace. And that's the troubling thing, right? That's the troubling thing. As we look to the people on our left and our right, who have made some awful choices. And we think of the worst people, right. the, the tyrants of the world, the, the, the people responsible for genocides or rape or just the worst of things. And, and it baffles us that God is capable of forgiving and, and reconciling that person to himself. And yet that is the gospel. That's the gospel. Yeah. And it's super easy to grab a hold of that, you know, that, that we are worth more than the, than the worst thing we've ever done. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so easy to grasp that for me. Right. I get that. Oh yes. man, I don't want to be held accountable to the worst things that I've ever done. At the same time, it's really we struggle so much to apply that to the people that we don't like or that yes. we don't agree with oh, or that we, we, we don't want see them as... to be held accountable. Right. Right. We love that we don't have to be and we want them to be. And that's that's the human condition right there, isn't it? <laughs> yep. So another question we got here says, um, I'm, I'm going to make this a little bit shorter. It's actually, we got a few questions that kind of go along together. In, in light of Matthew 25, the, uh, the, the least of these conversations, um, what opportunities are currently available at Colonial, and um, are, are, are we going to develop future ministries that help meet these goals? How can we get involved? Um, what partnerships do we have? Kind of, uh, that's kind of a, a conglomeration of, of all of those questions. Now, I, I want to... so. I'll jump in on that one. Like, uh, okay. I think, um, <laughs> I think, uh, we're, we're developing, um, relationships across our city. The more we, the more we move into this discipleship mindset, I think, um, I think we're developing relationships, um, getting to know some people, um, in ways that we can be a bigger influence and encouragement in our city. Um, I have a hard time saying that we should develop ministries specific to those things because that sort of puts the emphasis on the church uh, as a as an organization to say we're going to go do this thing y'all come do this with us and I, I think it's more about like um, us as Christians learning how to live this out in our different if our, our different areas I like for instance. I don't think we we need to go to. Uh, this is uh, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't say it as a statement, but what I currently think is I don't I don't really think we need to have a prison ministry at Colonial Church where we all wear our Colonial Church shirts and go down to the prison and we do some things. 
Like if God has put a conviction in your heart and your in, in your soul to go and do some of these things, we should go do those without a colonial church logo on our back. Um, like it's not it's not about that. The ministries that we currently have set up, be it family ministry, be it our our uh, our discipleship, our groups ministry, be it our worship ministry, these should be made up of people who are um, living out this culture of Matthew that we've talked about. Like these should be ingrained in our DNA as people, not as colonial church goers, if that makes sense. So like the, I think it's a good question because it's the way a lot of people think. Um, we're waiting on the church to like we, we get passionate about something. We're waiting on the church to organize something to do it, not right. recognizing God is convicting each one of us for those right. things. Go do it. And honestly, if you need some help, the church will be right there alongside you to help you make some of those things happen. I think about like a, a small thing. I think about like we have a we have a, a doctor and and, a, and a, his spouse here in our church that um, uh, some of you some of them. Some of you guys may know them. Uh, lead a, a Jacaranda. Um, they, they go overseas and ministry to to Kenya. Yeah, to Kenya, and it's like God put that on their heart. The colonial mm-hmm. didn't like organize that for them. God put, but but whenever they have a need, whenever they need something, whenever they have a desire, they come and chat with us, and we do whatever we can to help them succeed in whatever ways we can. But they didn't sit around and wait on the church to say, "Go do this." You know, yeah. um, which is the encouraging part about about this this idea of living out mm. Matthew. Yes, um, that's where I would I, agree. That's where I, I would agree. I, I totally, I totally agree with you, Tanner. I think that I think it's our it's our maybe our low level entry level thought of man. When's the church going to program this? Oh, Matthew right. twenty five. That's fantastic. The least of these. When's the church going to tell us what to do or? set something up that we can, we can put our toe in the water. And I, I think we have to, to try to do some of that. Sure. Uh, but man, to your point, uh, how many people that call colonial church home, how many people in Terry and Karen's group, long time Bible study group, small group here at colonial have experienced being a part of that ministry on the other side of the world or, or yeah. given, given, to it, given money, given medical supplies to them mm-hmm. to take over there, bought bought goods that they've brought back to support people there in that community, um, and none of that was because Colonial decided to have this ministry over there. It's because some people were convicted. There's folks that are involved with Church Without Walls to the homeless here in our community mm-hmm. that that Colonial has given money to. Of course, that's the easy thing. But there are groups that have organized their efforts to go down and serve as groups. There's individuals from Colonial that have jumped on. We don't need to create a ministry to the homeless here in our city. We need to partner with Church Without Walls. We don't need to create a refuge for, for um, abused women. We need to partner with Faith Refuge. We need to give them money. We need to go serve them meals. We need to, we need to have some of our ladies that are already doing it and to do more of it to I, I think about the the ministry. There's a handful of ladies that are serving. Uh, I don't even know how to articulate this well, but serving the women that um, are dancing for a living and yeah. and letting themselves be objectified by by dudes. Uh, and and we've got some amazing ladies that call Colonial Church home, including other churches in our community, right. that are are going into these strip joints that are love building friendships with these ladies and 
oh my gosh, they do not need to be walking in with a colonial shirt on, or we don't need to put a colonial booth up somewhere or put it in our app. Uh, it needs to be something that people are excited about and convicted about. Uh, and they, they, they make it happen. They create ministry opportunities to the least of these. It's more of a dirty, messy, relational thing, a mindset than it is a program. Yeah. Uh, and, and having said that, there's room for more creativity. I'll bet, yeah, I'll bet there's another dozen or more ministries to the least of these in different neighborhoods, different uh, people groups in our community that are ripe to be created and developed right. by our people that don't need to be waiting on Brooke James, our pastor of city and local and <laughs> you know global engagement. They don't need to be waiting for Pastor Lauren to announce something from the stage. They need to they need to grab a friend and say let's let's go love these people and right. see what happens. Uh, there's already yeah, I, a great ministry to the prison. What's it called? Kairos that yeah, yeah. that several mm -hmm. people yeah. in Colonial have been involved with and. I've had, you know, I can't do it all. I want to be a part of all these these efforts, mm -hmm. but I've had a, a hankering to get out there. And I know in my head, if I go out there once, I'm probably going to start going out there regularly, you know? Um, right. And I think that's partly why I, I cop out. <laughs> but there are so many opportunities to minister to the least of these that we don't need to recreate the wheel. We need to to be convicted and to act. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is I, why I, I kind of go back to that last statement you made there, Brooke, about like or the, or that last part of that question was you know, are there plant like partnerships or are there relationships right. we have? I'm like, that's, that's, that's how we create them is, is people being convicted, people feeling like, like the Lord has placed this on their heart. They're going to just get up and they're going to go do it. And then kind of coming back and informing the church or their, or their small mm -hmm. group. This is what's happening. Mm -hmm. This is what God's doing in this. Right. And people starting to gravitate towards that. I think that's how those relationships are developed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with both of uh, both of you guys. I think as far as as far as talking about partnerships and and what we do there, and um, you know, I, I think that there's always the possibility that God may say, "Hey, here's a need in your city. This is meeting the least of these in 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 whatever capacity. You need to start something because there isn't something." So I think there's always that possibility. Sure. But at the same time, not trying to recreate the wheel. So I agree. I think the only thing that that uh, that I would add to the to that conversation, it, it takes me back to. Um, a conversation that we had in our in our rooted group where we kind of went around and said, you know, okay, so who are the least of these to you, right? That was one of the questions that we kind of went around. I don't know if it was like an icebreaker, just part of the discussion, but um, and it was it was interesting to me to see that um, that God puts different things on different people's hearts, right? Race is um, it's something that's on my heart, right? It's close to home for me, but it's not for everybody. Um, it, it, homelessness may be something that's close to somebody else, but that we are all, we're all wired differently. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different things that, that stir us up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, what's great about the list of the least of these, right? It's not just go and clothe the naked, the end, right? Mm -hmm. It's the naked, the hungry, the incarcerated, the sick, the, mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, all, all of these things, the thirsty, and it's, um, it's it's all of those things. So, uh, so that's what I loved about about that. So, um, even before we tackle another question, man, we're we're tackling it again this Sunday. We're tackling it again yeah. on our podcast yeah. next Monday, and, yeah, sure. and I'm counting on having more conversations even after we step out of this series. Absolutely. So we don't have to say Absolutely. it all today. So uh, let's go. Let's go. Maybe maybe two more questions. I'll make the last one the last one about some resources that I've got a list of that that we could throw out there. But uh, so well, this question says the um, racism was the theme of oppression in the movie, um, but 
it's only one, as, as we just talked about, it's only one of the categories of the least of these, if you will. Mm. So do we feel like living in poverty is as large or greater of an issue in America than dealing with racism? Basically, uh, and this is, is, is privilege more about your socioeconomic status rather than the color of your skin? Hmm. That's a great question. There's so many layers to that question. Yeah. Um, well, I'll jump in and say that I think on the surface, this move, I, this is my opinion. I, I'm not Brian Stevenson, uh, okay. but my opinion reading this, reading this, seeing this, seeing this story unfold on screen is, uh, on the surface, this is a, about black and white. This is about race. Uh, and I mean, hands down, race is a huge part of this story. Hands down, hands down. But to me, what I heard Brian Stevenson say, even in his closing argument uh, in the courtroom scene that we showed, is this is about the least of these in a broader sense. It's about those in poverty. It's about those less educated. It's about those that... Uh, just have have they're on the outsides of power looking in uh and so in this particular context in alabama in this community uh the the black folks were the impoverished they weren't i mean they weren't the only poor people in town but i don't i just don't think it's a leap for any of us to embrace the reality that if you're wealthy and you go to court you're going to bring 18 high-paid, amazingly educated, experienced lawyers with you. And if you are flat broke, uh, especially downright impoverished, you're going to get a public defender assigned to you who may be terrible, who might be right out of law school. Uh, and that's just the way it works. That doesn't mean, you know, it's necessarily, you know, just an awful thing. It's just, it's a very sad, unfair reality. And so to that end, I, I think race and poverty are the two overlapping issues of this story, I would argue. Um, and I think that the Bible speaks very clearly to both. I think, I think Jesus just clearly stepped into meeting the Samaritan woman at the well, you know, and, and right. saying, we have to go this way. We have to go through this region where I'm going to meet someone different than us and, and lesser than us on the socioeconomic ladder, on the racial ladder, uh, on the gender ladder. Uh, the Bible speaks to the gospel being a message of reconciliation, restoring broken people groups to God and to each other. So race is right there in the scripture. And then there's no question that poverty is something that, that mm -hmm. over and over, the Old Testament and the New Testament speaks to us having to, having to, to, to tackle and to, to love through and to, to resource. I, I want to bring up, um, I had these passages in front of me. Uh, we go to the old Testament, Isaiah 58, uh, is a great place to talk about, um, people who were seeking the Lord, worshiping the Lord, wondering why God wasn't answering them. They were fasting, which is what we just did this a few weeks ago, right? 21 day fast. What yeah. are we fasting for? Why have we humbled ourselves? And God hasn't even noticed and his, his response is downright troubling. Uh, he basically says, let me tell you what a fast is. Let me tell you what worship really is. Let me tell you what it really means to seek me, to know me. And he starts in verse 5 of Isaiah 58. He says, is it not 
to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free. Is not the fast I chose to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, to see the naked and clothe him? So then we, we tie in Matthew 25. I mean, he says, how you treat the least of these is how you treat me. Uh, Proverbs 14 says, if you insult the poor, you insult the Lord. Proverbs 19 says, if you give to the poor, you give to the Lord. So whether it's race or it's poverty, uh, this, is, this is from the scripture. Uh, and so I think that question is, which is bigger? Which is the real issue here? I would argue, um, I just see both just just oozing through this story and oozing through the scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I uh, maybe to speak a little more harshly, but in a, I think maybe in agreement with you, um, I kind of go, what does it matter? What does it matter whether poverty or race was the bigger issue of these things, or if it's the bigger issue in our world, I, the reality of it is race, no matter where you stand on the topic of race, is an issue. You can't argue that it's not an issue. Um, if one person believes that racism is an issue, then there, therefore we have an issue, period. Um, poverty is an issue. That is not solely... Uh, solely reserved for uh, one race, um, it's it's kind of all over the place with with some of that stuff. Um, and so, no, well, we case, weren't trying to tackle all of it in case, this. Yeah, case in point, deal. I think this I think this is helpful. I hope it is. But Tanner, to <laughs> your point, I looked up a stat, and as of April of last year, uh, black people made up more than forty one percent of those on death row, but black people make up just over 13% of the U S population. So, okay. Chicken of the egg, which is true. Is, is, are there more, is this a racial thing? Is this a, is this a, a prejudice thing that has more black people being put on death row or are there more black people that are poor that have just worse representation in the courtrooms and, uh, or, or shocker, is it probably both? <laughs> is it, is it probably a combination of very complex variables? Uh, and so I think we readily, to your point, does it, does it matter? You know, God wants us to love everybody. I think we're all going to be shocked when we get to heaven and find out there are a ton of people here who do not look like me. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Um, and maybe more easily digested, uh, God's just heart for the poor is just so crystal clear throughout scripture. So, okay. So you're more, you're more passionate about the racial issue. Great. Oh, okay. You're more passionate about the poverty issue. Great. Oh, oh, you're more, you're more passionate about, uh, you know, girls and just the, the challenges they have in this still largely patriarchal society. Fantastic. Let's, let's get excited about all those things. Um, and let's just, be Jesus to them, and let's see Jesus in them. I'm yeah, taking, as, a, uh, taking a breath. As, as as Brian said, you know, he he, he talks about um, the 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 justice system that's better for you if you are rich and guilty, versus innocent and poor. Right. Um, you know, I, I think I think I could I, I could push back a little bit. I I, I agree with what you're saying. Is that it, the, they are they are overlapping? Um, I think there is a conversation that um, that because of race. 
um, it leads into all of these overlapping things where it's, you know, you want to talk about education or incarceration or, you know, you're talking about 41 percent, 41% are, are uh, of the death row inmates are black and 13% is the population. Like, to me, they lead together. And so it's it's not that you can leave one or the other out. I don't think you can say, well, um, you know, for, for Walter McMillan, he didn't he was because he was poor. That was the problem. Um or only because he was black, I think that those two things go together. Um, I, I think personally, I think the racism kind of led towards the other. Um, so one of the one of the last questions, I just wanted to throw something out there. It says, uh, "What are some resources you would recommend to people who want to learn about race issues in America?" Mm-hmm. Um, we may be able to get to this next week. I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't want to assume what exactly we'll get to next week. So I wanted to throw a couple of things out here. But I think we all kind of have different perspectives. Lauren, do you have anything specific that sticks out to you? Uh, well, I want to save some stuff for next week because I think we're going to talk directly about it. But I okay. do, th- I do think we purposely chose this film. So I think this film, this book, right. is a great place to go. For sure, uh, I do think, um, in part because our pastors, uh, three of our pastors, Ron, uh, Jordan, and I, that make up our executive leadership team, just finished reading this past fall a great book mm-hmm. called "The Third Option" by right. Miles McPherson. He is a pastor, a biracial pastor out in California, and um, it was it was thought provoking and really helpful. I think to me, Ron and Jordan, three pasty white guys, to um, to read a pastor's heart and and from the scripture about about the issue of racial tension and how do we lead a church uh, in that in with that topic in mind. So I think the third option by Miles McPherson is a good option. Um, those are the, those are the, the two things I'd say to start out with, and we're going to provide some more research this next week. I, I know you have read a ton on this, you know, since, since stepping into the world of really getting passionate about, about understanding people who look different than you, obviously with what your family has, the road, your family's going down very, very excitedly. Um, what, what do you, what comes to mind? What are a couple options that you can narrow it down to for us? <laughs> yeah, I think that was the hardest right? part not was 50, how do I, how do I narrow part. it down? I have 12 that I brought with me because it's just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, okay, so a, a couple, obviously, like I said, Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy. Um, and, and I would say more so than just watching the movie, you should read the book because it, it goes so much farther beyond the the couple of people that we see in the movie. Um, and, and it takes it beyond a lot of those things um, into a lot of things that, that he fights for. Um, there's a book called uh, The God gospel and racial reconciliation that um, it has uh, Russell Moore's name on it, but it's basically a series called The Gospel for Life that the mm. Southern Baptist Convention um, has put together. Um, there's a book called uh, Be the Bridge, Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation by Latasha Morrison that I really enjoyed. Um, one that, uh, if you want to talk specifically more about race issues, another one that was by um, Beverly Tatum, uh, Beverly Daniel Tatum, who is a psychologist. She wrote a book called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? Um I think one of one of the things we don't that talk I would about s- that. Uh, no, nope, that's right. We don't talk Sorry. about that. Sorry, we don't talk about that. Um, but I think I think trying to boil down all of the different things. The thing for me, and and especially in in what Brian writes, right, is that um, 
it's starting to see things from other perspectives. And so that's one of the things that I've tried to go back and read history from a different perspective. What is somebody that doesn't look like me, that doesn't come from the same place from me? What have they experienced? What is their history of, you know, the, the United States, the world that we live in? And, um, and, and uh, one, more, one more that I'll throw out there is um, it's a book called Speaking of Race, How to Have Anti-Racist Conversations That Bring Us Together by Patricia Roberts Miller. Mm. And it's this, um, it's this little bitty tiny book. It's like 100 and 125 pages or something like that. Um, I listened to audiobooks and it was like two hours long. And um, it's, it's super tiny, but it doesn't require you to necessarily believe certain things or be a certain distance in your journey um, in this conversation to understand that we can have conversations that actually bring us together rather than how we tend to have conversations as we've talked about like on on Facebook or Twitter or whatever where it's like I'm this is my drop the mic statement and I am intending to end the conversation so I thought it was a really good book that I would totally recommend um, and it's super easy and super quick it's not going to go into the history of race um, uh, in the United States I think there are numerous books out there that you can go into. And one of the great things that that uh, I would suggest is starting to read something, whether that's articles or um, blog posts or start with EJI, right? Mm. Read, read some of the stuff that they've got there. And mm. there are, are, are so many sources out there. And, and if you're only going to read it from one side, then you miss the other side of the argument. So, um, you know, branch out and read something that maybe you don't agree with. That's um, crazy, Brooke. That's nuts. You, I want, know. you want to encourage, wait, let me see if I get this straight. <laughs> Whoa. You want to encourage us to maybe read something from someone that we know we're going to have a hard time with certain aspects of what they say. Is that what I, I know, hear you right. saying? Something like that. Something similar to that. Yeah. I, I totally uh, agree. I hope people hear good. my sarcasm because I really believe this. How do we learn something new if we never read or listen to someone that we disagree yeah. with? Period. Yeah. I mean, I, I just just reading reading some of the books that I've read that are about uh, the the translations of what scripture means coming from somebody that that doesn't have the same context as me has been they've been huge that's it's mm. just been been great for me so mm. um all right okay last call we gotta finish we gotta wrap this up we'll continue next week but last call anybody else yeah I, I just want to say one thing from a very uh maybe from a like put your toe in the water kind of thing yeah one of the one of the ways that I've been influenced is by listening to music that's different. Um, and so, mm-hmm. uh, an artist I want to, uh, recommend, his name is D Wilson. Love uh, go listen to, to his stuff. It's incredible. D and then also, Wilson. yeah, D Wilson, D E E D E E Wilson. So D Wilson. And then from a worship community standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, Maverick city, man, go listen to Maverick city and soak it up. Yes. Um, there's all kinds of different musical influences, cultural influences ingrained in their stuff, uh, branch out, start to I kind love, of soak up some love of those things. Maverick City. Um, That's good those stuff. Are, those are some good things to... All right, to we got to... We got to pause the conversation, um, Lauren. Next week we have um, we have something coming up with uh, uh, Pastor David Youngblood. Who, if you have not heard from him, um, you can go back and listen to our podcast. Episode five has an interview that we did with him. Lauren, what are we what are we to expect next week? I am excited about continuing the conversation. I love that you use the word pause. We are pausing the conversation pause. right now. We are going to resume the conversation in our groups. Uh, Sunday morning, we're going to tackle the scripture specifically. We're going to look more at, at Jesus and, and the way he interacted with people and loved people. 
Uh, yes, I'm going to be talking to David Youngblood, who is a pastor uh, in the Church of God in Christ, which is the largest predominantly black church denomination in the country. Uh, but you know what I love is I know enough about David already, or YB, as he likes to be called, as we like Pastor to call YB. him. Pastor YB. Pastor YB. It's not about race for this guy. Like, hmm. he's, he's not colorblind. I love that he doesn't want to be colorblind. He wants us to appreciate right. our differences and understand our differences as best we can. But he is all about the kingdom, and he's all about how we engage with people different than us. And, uh, and so I'm excited as a brother in Christ who's different than us, who sees the world differently than we do, and, and maybe even disagrees on some things. We're going to have a, a length conversation this week and share a little bit of that on Sunday, maybe share a little bit more with our podcast next Monday as well. Uh, but yeah, the conversation, we're just pausing it. Don't give yeah. up on this, guys. Let's, let's keep engaging. That's right. Yeah, I think that's the great thing to remember as we, as we wrap up here. Um, please don't walk away. Uh, continue this conversation. Um, it may be, it may ruffle some feathers. It may be difficult. Um, it's, uh, it's not a conversation that the three of us jumped into this week, right? It's not brand new. We weren't blindsided by it. We've been talking about this for a while. So, um, so allow that to, to be okay. Uh, I know that's, that's tough sometimes, but, um, let's, let's try to get through it. And honestly, let's ask questions. Like I, going through some of these questions that you guys sent in this week is, um, has been really good, and, and I think it will even give us some more things to talk about next week as we continue. So if you've got a question coming out of this conversation, coming out of the movie from the past weekend, uh, coming from the, the whatever the service looks like this, this coming weekend, send us an email, podcast at colonialchurch.com, um, or just any way that you want to send it to us. If you want to send it through the office or text one of us or... Um, or through the website or however you want to do it, send us some questions. Like we want to talk about the things and the aspects of this that, that are confusing or that are touchy or that maybe we're, we're not seeing. We want to involve all of those things. So um, guys, thank you for being here. Thank you for uh, um, being a part of this and being willing to have a conversation like this. So thank you guys. Thank you for listening. We will wrap it up and pause this conversation and we will see you next week. You've been listening to the E6 podcast from Colonial Church. For more information about Colonial, please visit colonialchurch.com or download our app from the App Store or the Google Play Store. You can send us your thoughts, your feedback, and questions to our email, podcast at colonialchurch.com. And please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll pick up the conversation again next week.